Yellich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich, he has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! Get out of here and go! Ryan Braun, he just hit a walk-off Loving Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. I'm your host, Tyler. You can find me on Twitter at Tyler Kurth or read my articles by following Reviewing the Brew on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod or find us on the YouTube by searching Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. Joining me as always is my cheesehead loving buddy Trevor. He is the host of the Packers Trilogy podcast. He's a contributor at Dairyland Express. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. So I would ask how you're doing today, but we've been talking pretty much since we both got home from work. It's been a been a crazy day, and we are now doing this Brewers podcast uh, immediately after the trade or the tender deadline. Excuse me. So our first reactions on that. So I'm excited for this podcast. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting day. Um, just a recap of my day, went to work, came home, started, um, preparing for brew day this weekend and brewing a new beer this weekend. That's actually going to be a Doppelbach, but I made my yeast starter today, um, to get my, get my yeast all prepared for that this weekend. So I did that and then I started focusing on the Packers podcast that we just recorded now watching the news that came in from the tender deadline, which was very slow to start. And then all of a sudden there was like 18 things to try to keep track of in two seconds, it felt like. And yeah, now we're recording this podcast and I have an article about the non-tender deadline coming out tomorrow for, or not reviewing the brew, that's you, um, <laughs> Dairyland Express. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting night. Probably not going to be a short night, but I'm excited to talk about the Brewers and kind of what has happened in the past, you know, hour or so. So at at least right now as we're recording this. Hey, yeah, and just for the record, we would be happy to have you at reviewing the brew so you can talk some more shit to Matt cuz I saw you doing that again on Twitter tonight. So. Hey, I I toned it down from what I originally was going to say. I originally was going to ask him if he still doesn't agree with logic, um, <laughs> but I thought, eh, I can't express my sarcasm in a tweet, so I decided against that and went with something else, but uh, yes, I was right on Matt as soon as I saw that. <laughs> oh, man. If you are confused as what we're talking about, make sure you go back and listen to our Josh Hader court trial podcast uh very unique very fun i was the judge it was awesome so <laughs> check <laughs> that out but let's start today let's talk about the guys who they avoided arbitration with first so we talked a lot about catchers on the preview so both catchers 
Omar Narvaez and Manny Pena get tendered. And Omar Narvaez is getting tendered for $2.5 million and Pena for $1.65 million. Both of those are paid decreases from their projected arbitration values, which was a theme on players who they all avoided arbitration with. So what's your thought on this catching group, which actually has expanded by one player since the last time we talked? Well, it, it would be better if I was right about the situation from our last podcast. <laughs> because I doubled down on Twitter after I saw the news of us getting that other catcher. I was like, okay, that means Manny Pena is done. And you even mentioned it on Twitter, I do, I think, too. So I was just like, hey, I won an argument against Tyler about the Brewers. I was excited. And then this happens, which, if you look at it, you know, they're both making not only below what their expected arbitration numbers were, but their pay decreases from last season. Omar Narvaez was making 2.725 last year. 2.5 is what he signed for. Manny Pena was making 2.1 last year. He's making 1.65 this coming year. So I was not anticipating them signing both of these players. But at the same time, this is like... A lot less than that, what would have been anticipated. You know, we would have anticipated spending over five mil for these two guys, and we spent just over four. So that's saving if you look at it that way. So that's good news. Um, I still love Manny Pena. He's been one of my favorite brewers the last few years now. So I love having him on the team, and I like having him at that number. And like I mentioned on our preview podcast for the tender non-tender deadline i thought omar nervias was going to come back and he's going to be a contributor like we expected to see him in 2020 we did not see that i expect a bounce back year for him so at 2.5 that's that's a steal to me really for both of these players i did not expect both of them to be tendered either especially it was luke maley who was added the day before all this went down and Man, that guy is so dreadful on offense, his numbers aren't worth repeating. He is a very strong defender, um, but the big thing with him is he has an option remaining. So I feel like now that we know we have Pena and Narvaez, it's probably going to be Nottingham or Freitas. One of those guys is going to get DFA'd here in the upcoming weeks. Maybe even both. I mean, who really knows? As for the decisions tonight, though, I mean, obviously you have like a lot of upside with Narvaez, right? Like... Like Trevor said, if he returns to form like he has been, that 260s, 270 hitters throughout his MLB career, you're going to get a steal, especially if his power numbers stay up to or get back up to where we thought them they were. And Manny Pena, we know, is solid. So, I mean, I think tonight was all about the Brewers were able to save money from what we expected, and they keep their depth at catcher, which I think is going to be important for them next year. I like the idea of having that depth. It makes a lot of sense. We'll have to see what that means for the rest of the guys on the roster. Like you said, is does that mean some DFAs? What what does that fully mean? Um, I was going to say Luke's name, but I honestly forgot and didn't really know how to pronounce his last name. So I was like, I'm, I'm just not going to try. <laughs> but I low-key like this. I cannot believe that we got them for those numbers, both under the values they got last year. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler, but arbitration is the way it is, so players do not get pay decreases, correct? 
The only decrease they can get is 20% of their previous season's salary. So with Narvaez, he technically is taking about a 9% pay decrease by avoiding arbitration with this contract. Okay, so the amount that they can decrease is what's limiting for that. Okay, so I still am surprised that we got those players for under that. I thought, you know, Omar Narvaez didn't necessarily deserve a pay increase, but for the type of player he has been throughout his career, 2.725 doesn't seem like too much to me. The other, and I, I just want to go ahead to this because I was dumbfounded by this, what kind of black magic does David Stearns have to get Orlando Arcia at $2 million? <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during that conversation. <laughs> like, Orlando Arcia is probably in there like, Hey, yo, David, I had my best offensive season. You know, give me a pay increase. <laughs> you know, I deserve a raise. <laughs> and uh, I have a feeling David Stearns, and this was quoted by David, my my editor, Bring the David Stearns probably took one look at him and went, you know, we have Elise Rios, who is a lot cheaper and can replace you, right? <laughs> Which is true. So, I mean, I think that is probably how it went, to be honest. <laughs> but, yeah, but still, it's just like Orlando Arcia... I feel like could have then been like, fine, I'll hit the open market and I can probably make more than $2 million. I just, like, I, I don't know really what he'd be worth on the open market. I am not that up to date on MLB contracts and free agency, especially for players of Orlando Arcia's caliber. But to me, I felt like at least $2 million he could have gotten free agency. I felt like it could have been more, but I guess... Orlando Arcia was like, I want to be on the Brewers. I guess that has to be part of the conversation if he's going to take that increase or that pay decrease. Now it's 2.7 in 2020 to 2, so it's not like a huge, huge jump. But they were projecting him upwards of close to 4 mil at 3.8. So that's quite a big drop from what potentially could have happened. I don't know if the courts would have sided with him had they tendered him a contract and it went that way. I don't know if that's what would have happened, but that $2 million just very much surprised me when I saw that number. Yeah, I certainly agree, and I'll apologize. I had a typo in our Word document here. We have, I think it's Orlando Garcia's projected value was 2.7 to 3.8. He actually made 2.2 last year oh, in 2020. Okay. Okay. So even the arbitration projection system came out by MLB Trade Rumors, didn't expect him to they expected him to get a pay increase no matter what and the exact opposite happened (laughs) yeah but as for like the open market like i mean i don't know if orlando arcia would have been like yeah i'll take my chances i think maybe and if this wasn't a covid plagued season maybe he'd get 2.5 to 3 mil somewhere out there but i feel like all the other ball clubs out there know he was literally the worst offensive shortstop in 2019 and just hasn't been able to put anything together. Yes, there's value in defense, but the game likes offense these days. And so I've seen a lot of people out there on Twitter going, all right, you know, I'm okay with keeping Orlando Arcia because now we can still trade him. But it's like, what the hell is his trade value? Like, (laughs) unless he just puts together a pretty good stretch next year, uh, which would be, you know, two seasons technically in a row, then maybe his trade value rises. But at that point, do you want to trade him? So like this offseason, I feel like he has very little trade value. Yeah, I to me, this is a David Stearns probably wanted him back. But like you mentioned, he 
he did have some leverage in getting him at a cheaper value. So he used that leverage. But I imagine David Stearns wants him back because he doesn't know what he has in Urias. He he is not sure if Urias isn't it, who he's going to be able to put in that spot. And bringing back Arcia at least gives you at the very least a safety net, but also very well could be your everyday starter at shortstop. So for $2 million, it makes a lot of sense to have him there. Yep. And it's going to be a fun battle to watch during spring training this year. That is for sure. We're finally going to get to see it. (laughs) And and that probably means we're going to see Orlando Arcia in spring training hit like 325 and everyone's going to be like, oh, he's back. And then he's going to start the year hot at 275 and then end the year at 240 or whatever, like he did this year, basically. <laughs> okay, Mr. Half Glass Full Jeepers. <laughs> I, I have been on RCS bandwagon for a long time. At this point, I think we know who he is. He's He's been with the Brewers, what, since he's like 21 years old. He's 25 or 26 at this point. Is is a flip gonna switch off? A flip gonna switch? Wow! A switch gonna flip offensively for him? Maybe, but I would guess probably not. Uh, if I was a betting man, I would probably put my money on no. So to me, it's it's a good depth piece. He's a player that if he is your everyday shortstop, you're not gonna hate it. You put him in the eighth spot, and and you deal with that offensively, and and then you go from there. And he's to me, he's still not the long-term answer. I thought he could have been when, you know, he's 21, 22, 23, 24. But now he's getting up to 26 and not showing any real progression at the plate. So to me, he's going to be a nice piece at this point, probably more of a transitions piece until they figure out what the long-term answer is there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if the Brewers can construct a lineup that's good enough where Arcia is the eight hitter or nine hole hitter, if there's the DH, like, that's the ideal world and ideal spot for him. A big piece of that will be how Dan Vogelbach plays because we need to jump back on his bandwagon because they avoided arbitration and signed him for 1.4 mil uh, for next year, which was his lowest projected arbitration value that we talked about on the tender deadline. So, happy? Sad? What are your thoughts? <laughs> 1.4 million is not a lot of money. But 1.4 million is some money, and I do not have a lot of faith that we're going to see the Daniel Vogelbach that we saw in Milwaukee for a full season. Because I saw what he was before he came to Milwaukee, and maybe it was just he needed a a change of scenery. And if that's the case, 1.4 could be an absolute steal for Dan Vogelbach. I just don't know... If that's going to be the case, I I really do not know. Um, it'll be interesting to kind of watch and see. And what happens if the DH doesn't come back? Like, how are they going to feel comfortable keep having him as an everyday first baseman? I don't think so. And if he's a platoon guy, do you feel comfortable with his defense? Like, it just, I really don't know what to think you look at the difference between his numbers in Milwaukee again very limited sample size only 67 plate appearances um, he did walk in eight of those plate appearances 328 batting average 418 on base percentage 569 slugging 
which means an OPS of 987, he's not going to be that player. Because you look at his career numbers, it is 206, 332, 409, 741. So nowhere close to those numbers he put up in Milwaukee. And if you look back at the rest of his career, mainly in Seattle, you look at just batting average, his rookie year, he only had 13 plate appearances, but he batted .083, pretty terrible. Again, very limited sample size there. Um, 2017, 214, 2018, 207, and then 2019, he was 208. So they're really... That's four years of telling you what this player is. Um, Apparently, he was an all-star in 2019. Didn't know that, but I guess 30 home runs, that'll do that, Um, even though he had barely over 800. But that's kind of the guy he is, right? He's he's not a big-time hitter. Like, he doesn't hit the ball well. Um, When he does hit him, he hits him pretty far, you know, his 162 game average, according to baseball reference, is 27 home runs on average. Like, okay, if he hits 227 home runs, would we have another Chris Davis? Like, I don't know how much that interests me, but I, again, I guess at 1.4 million, can you really expect anything more? I guess. I don't, I don't know. I just, I know he's not going to move the needle for the team, and I'm wondering what his role is going to be with this team because we don't know if he can play defense. Defense, the DH, obviously the biggest question mark regarding this, but I'm guessing the Brewers went, hey, the upside with him for $1.4 million, they're going to they're gonna take it for now because despite the low batting averages, he drew 92 walks in 2019 was on a very similar trajectory for walk percentage in 2020, a little bit lower, shortened season. Um, but even though he doesn't necessarily hit the ball very well, he, he, he's he got a good eye. We talked about it that he's just not a very aggressive hitter. We talked about that in our Dan Vogelbach season evaluation. Um, but he'll get on base for you, which obviously has a little bit there. And I think the Brewers are probably still going to go into this thinking he's a platoon player. Obviously, left-handed batter hasn't hit lefties very well. They're going to be looking for another right-handed bat to stick over there at first base. No, it's not going to be Ryan Braun. We're going to put that to rest <laughs> right now. So um, we'll see what they end up doing there. As for other tender guys, they did not avoid arbitration, at least as of yet here. We have Josh Hader and Brandon Woodruff. They were both tendered contracts. I was really hoping Brandon Woodruff is able to come to terms with an extension. That could obviously happen here in the next month. I can't exactly remember when the deadline is for coming to like contract deals. I don't remember, but... My guess is if they don't, both of these are likely going to go to arbitration into the into the court case and, and be decided that way. But really, they're no-brainer decisions to tender both of those guys. Yeah, no, no surprise. Um, I think the only thing Tyler and I were both waiting on was to see if they would get a deal done, um, like you were mentioning, to see if they could avoid arbitration, potentially give them a longer-term contract and, and save some money for the Brewers but give the players some long-term stability. Clearly that has not happened yet. We'll see what happens moving forward. And I bet by the time we get this posted, something will change because (laughs) literally 
I think we're not going to say much more about those two players. We knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of time or wondering if they would get a deal done first uh, to avoid arbitration. But this is something we expected. And like I said, maybe it's going to change by the time this actually gets out because Tyler tried to post an article for reviewing the brew regarding a guy that initially we thought was non-tendered and since then has been traded. That guy is Corey Knable. So that is interesting. He went to a place that I did not want him to go to. And it sounds like cash or a player to be named later for Corey Knable, which your editor at Reviewing the Brew has told us that isn't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean we get nothing in return, right? That's true. But those trades are always just so frustrating, like... When are you going to figure out who it is? Who is it going to be? Is it going to be like some international signee who's 18 years old and is first coming to the United States? (laughs) Wow, that sounds like a David Stern's moon move to me. (laughs) I know. That's the scary part, too. (laughs) So, man, it it sucks to see Knable go, though. Like, he was such a great bullpen arm. He was our closer in 2017, an all-star that year. He had mixed results in 18, but was dominant down the stretch and into the postseason. And then, of course, I truly believe that if it wasn't for injury in 2019 and for COVID in 2020, Corey Knable would be a brewer going into next year. Because, I mean, ultimately this came down to the fact that he has a price tag of $5.125 million. And the brewers went, hmm, that's a lot of money. We lost a lot of money. I don't know if we want to pay you that. So, we're going to trade you, and and that's what happened, unfortunately. So you mentioned the injury and the pandemic having a big role in that. I would argue it's mainly the injury, because even if he does get off to a rocky start in 2019, but could play, and that happens in 2020, but he could play, and he came back kind of like he did in 2018, he was like not quite as dominant as he was in 2017, but still a good player and one that we needed in that bullpen. I feel like if he just didn't have that injury, he would have probably been a similar type of player as what we saw in 2018. And hopefully it was like 2017, but even if it's like 2018, I think they're like, okay, we're going to pay that contract because even though he's had some ups and downs, his ups have been really good and we need this guy on the roster. But that injury, missing a whole year, and then coming back and struggling from that injury. It's just kind of a perfect storm that caused the Brewers to say, okay, that $5 million price tag is is a bit much now. Yeah, I mean, there's always, like, so many what-ifs with injuries. Like, because if Knable would have pitched in 2019, then obviously his arbitration value would have went up. Like, we always think the same thing with Jimmy Nelson. What if he never would have slid back into first base? And, ugh, it's just painful, painful memories that I don't really want to dive into today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I mean, the reality is I think the worst part about this is not only that he's a brewer, but that he's or not only that he's not a brewer anymore, but he's going to the freaking Dodgers of all teams, which that just stings. I hate that. Which obviously means he's going to single-handedly win Dodgers games over the Brewers because that that will happen, and it definitely will be frustrating. But we'll have to wait and see if the money's worth it for him. We'll have to wait and see what the trade actually ends up being. 
all of those types of things. I think it's ridiculous that the MLB allows a player to be named later. No, figure out the damn deal. Are you kidding me? You uh, That's so dumb and frustrating. And so what happens if they're trying to name the player later and the sides can't agree on a damn player? Then what happens? Like I just don't understand that concept at all. Just just name the player. When they put in the trade, make them name who the, what is a part of the trade. Uh. You know, maybe that'll change with the minor leagues, unfortunately, shrinking and there's less of a player pool out there. So maybe that might, who knows, in the future that might come to, to an end here, um, which is obviously not good because we want more minor leaguers out there. But sidetrack, um, enough on Corey Knable. We'll shed some few tears tonight for him. Other guys who are non-tendered, Alex Claudio, Ben Gamble, and then Jace Peterson. I think maybe out of this group, Ben Gamble, you could argue, is the most surprising, but we kind of expected it. So is there anything else you really want to add on Ben Gamble or the other guys? Claudio, you know my opinions on Claudio. Like, I would have gotten if they brought him back, but $2 million, $2.3 million, you know, that's some money to save, and I don't think... It's just like the Dan Vogelbach thing. It's not a lot of money, but at the same time, I don't know how much they're moving the needle. And in the bullpen, we have some promising bullpen arms. Maybe that means we start seeing some of the younger guys a little bit more often. They get a bigger role. That could be a good thing. Um, In terms of Jace and Ben Gamble, to me, doesn't really surprise me all that much. I was kind of thinking that they wouldn't tender Ben Gamble, so that does not surprise me. The Jace Peterson, you know, you mentioned and kind of changed my mind originally. I was like, hey, just not tender him. Who cares? Uh, but for the money of 8 to 9K, or 8 to 9K, 800K to 900K, that is like basically nothing. And for his versatility, it makes a lot of sense, even though he's not a player that's going to, move the needle at all, but for that little of money, it's like, okay. Like, I would have rather tendered Jace and non-tendered Dan Vogelbach because at least with Jace, I know I can get some defensive play and things like that. Just with Dan Vogelbach, I just don't know. I, I hope he can. I hope he can make a impact, but without knowing that the DH is here, I don't really know if he can. So to me, I would have probably flip-flopped those I would have loved to see Corey Knable be on the Brewers, at the very least be on any other team other than the Dodgers. But other than those two kind of switching Jace and Dan Vogelbach and then trading Corey Knable to anyone else, I kind of agree for the most part of all of these moves, especially seeing the numbers that we that we got some of these players at. Yeah, the numbers were a pleasant surprise coming out of tonight. So, I mean... All in all, I think you have to view this as the Brewers came out in really good shape. They saved more money than, well, they saved money, <laughs> which we did not expect. And obviously, no Corey Knable is $5 million extra in our bank account to spend this offseason, hopefully. So we will probably spend next Monday's podcast talking about other non-tenders around the league because now the free agent pool has just went from yay big to 
exploding outward. So a few guys who are non-tendered tonight, Archie Bradley, David Dahl, Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, Kyle Schwarber, among a bunch of other names out there. So I'll do my best to try and compile a list of who I think is worth talking about, and we will review those names prior to winter meetings, which start next week as well. So Offseason is officially getting to the very fun and exciting part of baseball season. Do you have anything else before we sign off, though, Trevor? Well, the only thing that, as I'm looking at our tender, non-tender preview, Ryan Healy. We didn't talk about Ryan Healy. Did they non-tender him? Yeah, I, was I hope you so. were going to ask that. <laughs> I haven't seen anything on it, and then I'm pulling up the 40-man roster right now, and I don't see him on there. So he might have got DFA'd at some point, and I missed it, would be my guess, like a couple weeks ago, a month ago. I don't know. I'm slacking as the host of this podcast. You should probably fire me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sorry for all the Ryan Healy talk we missed out on. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah, I I would have been a little upset had they tendered him a contract, but I was just wondering if you know kind of what was happening with him or what was going on because I didn't see anything and we didn't talk about it, so I was just wondering. But I guess that's it for us. And I looked at Spotrac and I don't his. It just says previous contracts, and there's nothing in his current contracts. So, not really sure what happened with him. Here it is. November 2nd, rather than taking assignment to the minors, Ryan Healy opted for free agency. We missed that a month ago. (laughs) All right. Well, there we go. I guess we'll see how much of this backtracking Tyler edits out of this, because... I got I got him good on the Ryan Healy thing. <laughs> but, yeah, you mentioned it, Tyler. I think the Brewers, for what they did, they came out ahead like probably over $10 million if you look at the guys they non-tendered, um, the amount of money they saved on guys. Somewhere in between that 10 and $15 million range is probably what they saved. So that's good. Um, obviously... The big one is not having Corey Knable. I think all of the other non-tenders are truly not that big of a deal. So I I like what they did. I think they David Stearns and Matt Adams did a very good job um, kind of running this and, and, and getting this to have the best option both now and in the future. Yeah. Matt Arnold, not Matt Adams. You're thinking of the first baseman I wanted. <laughs> I won't edit that out either. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I guess the last caveat I have is we did save money tonight, but Woodruff and Hader are going to get pay raises, so it might kind of neglect those for tonight. <laughs> yeah. Sorry are to bring this sour note. Are they going to get $12 million between the two of them? I mean, they're both looking at a little over $2 million in pay raise. For each of them, so still, what do you think? Five million in savings? You know, we'll take it. We'll take it. I'll take it. Now we can spend that on a third baseman, so. All right, perfect. (laughs) All right, until next time, we will cover some more of the non-tendered players. Uh, But until then, peace out, Brewer fans. Trust in Stearns.